It's that time again. You go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Well, howdy. Howdy. How are you? <laughs> I am good. Um, I want to start off by saying, uh, woo, girl, you had a rough day yesterday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You saw that. <laughs> and guess what? Okay. So for those of you who don't know, I, w- I got up at like 530 and I was at my uh, first yard at six. It was still pitch black dark. And I had prepared three transport nukes to take somewhere else. So I closed those bees that were getting actually a little riled up with me because I was not being, you know, very fast about it. And, um, and then I loaded that up and I, and I left and I went to that yard where I was setting them up. And then when I left, I think I rolled on the sharp stone or something. So I got oh. a flat tire. <laughs> As soon as I was out of the customer property, I was like, oh, that's no good. So I had to sit there with a bunch of bees that were not necessarily very close because the night before I went and I did one of those conversion nooks from my Kyle yard. And that has the Langstroth box that's open to the shape of the top bar. And then I had kind of like cobbled them up because they were not attached. Right. Yeah. And so put them on the truck. So now all of a sudden I have to move all that stuff to get to my spare tire that's in my trunk. And and so bees are like, whoa, we're out. What did we do? And they were not happy. And and so I had to change that tire with my bee suit. Yeah, full beekeeping suit. (laughs) I didn't have the. I ended up using my hive tool to turn the the stand up because I didn't have that handle thing that goes with it. Yeah, I did have a spare tire, but as soon as I was done putting it on, I realized it was pretty much flat as well. And all those bees were flying everywhere and everybody was super annoyed with me. So, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I, so I also spent all day yesterday moving bees and working bees and we were messaging back and forth, like in between all of that. And I saw you send the picture when yes. I was driving right. and then you followed it up with a video <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I'll look at that. I'll look at that later when I get like back to yeah. the apiary or when I get back home. And it ended up being like nine o'clock last night mm-hmm. when I finally got back in, got done. And I was like, I opened that up and I was like, oh no, <laughs> like, you're all suited up full gear out there. Bees are flying everywhere. You're they trying to crank mad. the truck up to put the tire on it. <laughs> Somebody asked me on Instagram, I was like, they did bees. They were smart little uh, bees. They, they, punctured your tire right we're not leaving they're tiny little daggers (laughs) (laughs) they slashed your tire that's exactly what happened so that's a great segue i guess for the topic for today right right that i i thought that was actually very fitting in some regards so (laughs) since how we both did spend yesterday moving bees and it is a question that comes up on the main hive jive quite a lot um it can be I want to move my bees, you know, 10 foot over. I want to move them to the other side of my yard, the other side of my property. I need to move them to another bee yard that is just down the road, or I need to move them to another county or another state. Um, It can all be things that come up and kind of come into play. And there's some different aspects that should be considered. 
and right. to maybe possibly make your move a little bit easier. So I thought that we would go through today and discuss moving hives yes. and kind of give everybody a little bit of uh don't do what I've done in the past type scenarios and, or, or be you know, like best this. case, yeah. Best case <laughs> scenarios. When you leave to move your bees, um, before you leave that morning, check and make sure your spare tire has full air. <laughs> Always. <laughs> make, Always. Sure, make sure you have a Jack in your truck just exactly. in case. <laughs> yeah. So one of the questions that comes up a lot, and I'm going to, we're going to start on the, the smaller end of things and then kind of, I guess, move upward. So one of the questions that comes in a lot is in regards to, I need to move my bees from their current location to the other side of the yard. And that could literally be, I've got bees in my backyard and they're in the Southwest corner and I want to move them over to the Southeast corner mm -hmm. and it's further than 10 feet. But unfortunately, like I don't have the luxury of being able to do what the books say and load them up and drive them five miles away and set them there mm -hmm. for a week and then drive them back. Like that's a lot of a pain in the butt hassle. That's a lot of work. And it's stressful for the bees. Right, exactly. Because not only did they not like to be moved, but then when they got to the new place, they had to reorient. And then a week later, you did it all again. So now they're really uh, discombobulated and yeah, not necessarily happy. <laughs> Yeah, I try to wait at least a couple of weeks before I bring them back so that, but yeah. I mean, talk about something that the bees wouldn't do naturally. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to move back and forth no. and, and, and all that very quickly. So <clears throat> one of the things that I tell people, and this is one of those like hack type scenarios where you can go through and you can do this. It's not what the books say. It's not necessarily best case scenario, but it is easier on yourself in the long run. And the bees only end up doing like one transition, but in the cooler months. So there's two caveats to this. If it's super hot outside, you don't have necessarily a lot of choice. Mm -hmm. If it is cooler out and the bees can stand being locked up, then you can do this kind of one of two different ways. So first and foremost, you want to go out the evening before, right at sunset or a little bit after when all the bees have come inside, hopefully. Um, in some cases, I go out there and there's a beard of bees hanging out at the entrance. And I'm like, no, you're all supposed to be in bed. Um, if that's the case, you might have to very, very, very gently smoke around the perimeter of that and they will slowly start to go Coral inside them. the enclosure yeah. yeah if you smoke right in the middle and you smoke fast they're going to scatter <laughs> and go across the side of the hive the you don't want to do that you want them to all come together and go inside so gent gentle smoking around the edges they'll slowly move in and then as soon as they are go ahead and seal them up if they are in a hive like my top bar hives i always have an entrance disc on it so it's very easy to loosen that slide it around a vent tighten it back up and call it good mm -hmm. if you don't one of my preferred methods is aluminum window screen and a stapler and you can staple over the entrance just a little piece of aluminum window screen they can't chew through it but it still allows complete ventilation of the hive so they can still mm -hmm. get the airflow through there and, and keep themselves cool so you're going to close them up that night the next morning you can then go out there pick up the hive and move it to its new location because they're prisoners it, yeah, they're locked in. If it is a hot day, though, and you're up like 90s or 100 or above, and if you want to do the translation into Celsius, I will totally leave that for you. Um, if like not, look it up. Fives, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you move them over there and it's going to be a really hot day, they're only going to be trapped that night. And the next day, early in the morning, you're going to go ahead and have to release them because they could potentially overheat if all the foragers can't get out and go do their normal jobs. There's a lot of extra bodies in there generating that heat. 
And the bigger the colony, the more true that is. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, if you've got a small nuke and it's only five frames in a 10 frame box and they haven't even drawn out the other five frames, that's a different story. But if you've got multiple boxes and they're packed full of comb, packed full of bees, then that's, you know, that's a lot of crowding going on in there. And they need to keep that brood's nest at an optimum temperature so that it doesn't overheat and cook the brood and also so that it doesn't get too cool and the brood ends up chilling. So you've got you've to gotta kind of help them out in regards to that. That's where the screen comes into play too. So you can move them over, set them down in the new location. And again, if it's a warm day, you're going to go ahead and have to open that up. But if it is a cooler day, you can actually leave them closed up for that day. And then that evening, as it gets closer, not just dark, but closer to it, you can go ahead and open it. They don't have enough time to do a whole lot, but they can get out. They can relieve themselves, kind of stretch their legs and their wings. But one of the big tricks here is you want to force them to reorient. Being locked in a box for an entire day does kind of discourage them, and they will come out and do a little bit of that. But if you can put something directly in front of the new location, be it a tree branch, a potted plant that's tall enough that it's going to be directly in front of their entrance, and put it up close to the hive, so when they come out, they're immediately like, whoa, whoa, what, what is this? What are all these leaves? What are all these branches? This has never been here. Mm -hmm. That causes them to turn around and reorient and re-memorize the hive location, the surroundings and everything else. Leave it there for a week and then take it away and you're good. At that point, they've all got that new place in mind. They all come back to that new location and they're usually good to go from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that's the short version of the, the do-it-yourself kind of hack version of moving a hive just on the other side of your own property where you don't have that luxury of moving them five miles, leaving them for a few weeks, moving them back, like doing all this kind of switching around on it. Right. The alternative would be to move them little bit by little bit every five, six feet yeah. at a time. And that's kind of, you know, that's possible in uh, some instances, but one, it's a gigantic pain. And two, uh, <laughs> it's not always possible depending on your topography, right? Right. So, or also like sometimes it's a time concern. Um, that whole process, if you're if you're moving them, say you're moving them fifty foot on the other side of your property. Days. It you're eight, doing eight you're doing days. two foot um, like a day, and then you gotta wait a day, and then you move it another. Like you just keep slowly scooting it over, and they keep having to adjust. And mm -hmm. it's a lot of work on you. It's a lot of work on them. They're doing a little micro adjustments and memorizations as they go through there. And it may be a situation where maybe the bees are causing a problem where they're at. Maybe somebody's coming to do repair work and they need in that general vicinity. And you just, you just don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the downsides or one of the side effects, I guess I should say, of what could occur is you may still have a few very stubborn, very old bees that are very set in their ways that absolutely refuse to orient on the new place and go back to the old location. And if that's the case, you'll find a small little swarm and they may even condense down into a cluster where the old hive used to set. You can put mm -hmm. a small box out there. This is where like the corrugated nuke boxes come into play really well. Put one empty comb in there, set that box down. I've also seen them be so desperate that I walked into an area. We had moved a bunch of hives, like in the middle of the day, didn't have the luxury to, to lock them up. We just had to move them mm -hmm. and we had to get them off the property entirely. So we went out there, did, you know, kind of like the, 
guerrilla warfare almost because they were falling apart and rotted and like things were it was horrible so transporting that is a catastrophe it was it was yeah it was a very bad instance all the way around but when when i went out there and did that i got all the bees off the property i knew there were going to be a lot of foragers that were left over and when i came back that evening with a container and started walking in that direction they literally swarmed me they were oh. all around me and they started piling on the box and piling up on me and going into the box because they were so desperate for oh. their home. And this box smelled like bees and they all just, I mean, mass exodus. They flocked to it. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, so, but at least you got them in the box so you could yeah, take them. We got mm -hmm. them in the box and then we took them with us. So we were good. And they were moving far enough away that, you know, they weren't going to come back after that. But at your home apiary, you can walk out there and you can set that box down. Now, I usually don't provide it at the beginning of the day because I want them to go and figure out there's nothing here. And if they start searching and circling, they may actually find the other hive and fix it on their own. But by the end of that evening, anybody that hasn't figured that out, they're still setting out there. So you take this other small container, you set it down, open it up. They will happily go into it because they want the shelter. It smells like bees. If there's comb in there, then it feels like home and they get inside, they're all good to go. Then you close that up and you take it right back to the new location and you dump them back inside their regular there. hive. Mm -hmm. And you may have to do that a couple of evenings in a row, but that's like worst case scenario and it's not that big of a deal. You're not doing the moving an 80 pound hive right. two foot a day every day, you know, multiple times. You're just moving a very light box that you can carry back and forth. Right. If for any reason you have any hives left there though, they will just kind of reassign themselves they will go there that's like if absolutely you're taking true. out a, a really defensive colony because it's not safe where you are but the other colonies are fine to be left there those bees that are the stragglers i call them will will end up going to uh and just assign themselves they'll they'll beg for entry with a little bit of a food offering and say yep. please take me in and they'll get in yeah and that's normally that's also the case when you do removals as well because the bees that get left behind are the foragers Mm -hmm. that are returning from the day's journey they have pollen they have nectar in their crop and they have offerings and i often when i go through and i equate this to both usually my removal clients the way that i tell the story to them so that it makes it humorous and they understand is mm -hmm. i say it's kind of like showing up to a college frat party when you don't know anybody but you show up and you've got beer and you're beer? like hey i don't know like, you but i brought beer and they're in. like come on in <laughs> yeah so they can very easily barter their way into a new hive and that's how that's also how drifting works so if you have a lot of hives that are all the same color they're all in a straight line and they're only a few feet apart from each other those foragers leave and they're making these hundreds of trips a day carrying all this food and after a while they start getting lazy and tired and they're like they they start shifting over one hive and then another hive and pretty soon they're all going to the hives that are on the outer ends of your line mm -hmm. and those colonies are huge and the colonies in the middle are like dwindling and getting weaker right. because they're drifting so that doesn't really apply to this moving scenario but what it applies to is the fact that your bees will accommodate and they will move into other hives if they have to so yes if you just take one away and you've got some foragers that's not as big of a deal if there's other hives there they will actually just incorporate into those new hives uh, yes. but if you've got one hive period and you're moving it then that's that's kind of and the scenario that works you have to that. think about that so um talking about by the way moving those hives you were mentioning the screens and if you are using those corrugated plastic nook boxes they have all the aeration that they need because they're made for transport so yeah, you don't have to worry ventilated. about that you just close that entrance and they're good to go. Make sure you tape it 
or, or put some kind of ties on it because once you're in, in pickup truck and the wind hits that lid, very uh -huh. often it'll just flip open and you'll have bees like flying. You'll, you'll look at your rear view mirror and you'll see bees bouncing off. Yep. <laughs> For the most part, they'll stick around, but yeah, don't ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. And then when you pull up, especially like doing removals where they've crawled inside the transport box, they're not in the transport box, but they've went they're in the their, tube and yeah. they're on the outside of the, like the little containment <laughs> unit for the, the comb and you just pick everything up and put them in the truck and as you're loading the bees are following the smell of the rest of the colony and the queen and so they're piling up on there you take off down the road and they're hanging on for dear life like, every bee. time you stop they <laughs> let loose and you see these little bees fly up just, the cloud comes yes. up and then it comes back down yeah. and you start over yeah <laughs> yeah so um yeah i've been there done that too um but yes if it is a coronated corrugated nuke box it is ventilated but if you're if you're talking about an actual wooden hive that's been established, it's, it's been not. setting in that location for a year, and now you're going to move it for some reason, that's when you go through and you do these other things. Now, if you're moving a top bar, one wait, of wait, the before, before before you move the top bar, uh, I wanted to say you know you're you, you're mentioning using the screen. Here's for something uh, a little bit more mindful about the approach. You can use those packages that you get. That's got that screening that you can pull out and reuse and I always kind of pull it out so that I can just recycle it that way because it's very very uh, useful you don't have to go buy it otherwise very often the screening that you're going to use is probably going to be something like one eighth of an inch hardware cloth or something that's going to be too big uh, too um, small for the bees to get through so maybe yeah. a bit thicker I mean bigger holes so there's more airflow but just make sure the bees still can't get through right yeah, I so I literally use because of what we do with the of the removals. I use I literally use aluminum window screen. So it's the same thing that would oh, be on your front smaller. door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it lets all the air flow through, but nothing's getting through it except for maybe itty bitty tiny ants, and that's right. that's a slim shot. And that's pretty <laughs> smart actually, because especially when you have those surfaces at the top when you're doing the removals, those one eighth of a uh, one eighth one eighth of an inch screening. Very often, if the bees are getting a little bit desperate, they'll shove their heads through yeah, it. Yeah, they get stuck. And they'll die because they'll be stuck. They yeah. won't be able to put like a like a child that's putting their head <laughs> through, through, the, the, through the banister headrail. Like, ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I'm not actually, laughing at them, but yeah. No, that's that's actually very true. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I use that aluminum screen. But on the packages, if you've ordered, like say you did get your bees from a package and you've still got that wooden frame that has the screen on it, you can pop that screen off and cut it to the shape and use it and staple yes. that on there. And then when you remove it, the, you know, if you're careful about it, you can then keep it and reuse it for that same purpose. Right. So that absolutely works. And then you're actually, um, you know, you're recycling and up, what do they call that? Up, uh, upcycling. Upcycling. There you go. Upcycling. Mm -hmm. I was going to say upkeeping, but then I was like, that's not right. No. Um, but yeah, you're upcycling. So in a Langstroth, if you're going to move your colony, you want to ratchet it all down. So get mm -hmm. yourself a ratchet strap and actually ratchet the whole thing Absolutely. down so your boxes don't shift and move. Make sure you have actually sealed up all entrances because some inner covers at the top have a vent or entrance. Mm -hmm. So make sure that gets that, you know, again, you can put that little thing, a window screen up there, um, seal that off. And then if it's a top bar, your bars are usually very snug to begin with. But what I do is I take the blue painter's tape and I mm -hmm. actually run it long ways all the way across the bars and then hook it down. So that way they don't tend to pop up or want to shift or move. Yep. They're not going to mm -hmm. go side to side, but they could want to buckle or one want to pop up, you know, if they're not very tight. Typically though, if you've been keeping your top bar for a while and it's not brand new, 
about they're going to be waxed and propolized together. They're not going anywhere. So you're mm -hmm. usually pretty good on that regard. And again, you use your spacers, you keep it snug. So those are the two things that you'd want to do when you're picking it up and moving it. Langstroth, you know, they're way more forgiving on the moving aspect. If it's just you, you can pick it up and lug it around. Um, if you don't want to carry it, you can pick it up. And I've stuck them in wheelbarrows before. I've used a kid's wagon, you know. Yeah, I've I even put one on a skateboard and pushed it. <laughs> oh, wow. So, that's pretty crafty. So, How did you, know, you have a skateboard available? <laughs> I have a lot of nephews. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but you can go through and you can do different things to, um, I've also moved a giant chest of drawers on a skateboard because of my nephews before too. So, uh, but you can, you know, you can find different ways to get out over there. A top bar on the other hand, you're going to need help. You're going to need a partner to go through and pick that up, especially if it is very established because it's going to be heavy. And if you've built them with your guys' specs with the two by lumber, it's heavy mm -hmm. period without counting all the comb and the bees and the honey that could be in there. Um, but you want to be very careful. Keep it level while you're moving it. Don't don't have one end up way high. Not too much anyway. Yeah. I'm yeah. Really and you want to try to you want to try to always pick it up and set it down gently. If you have to do it in stages and take breaks, that's fine. And if you ever put it into a vehicle, so if we if we start transitioning from this, I'm moving it across my yard, but I'm now moving it to another apiary or another county or out of state. If you put a top bar in a vehicle, the the bars, let me use my phone here, your bars are running a specific direction. So pretend the way that you're actually looking at the video is hey. how your comb is going to be. And if you're if you're actually listening to this audio wise, okay, she's got a bar. There we go. We're going to switch over. Although if she's not talking, you can't see it. <laughs> oh, sorry, couldn't hear you. But yeah, you don't want to. You you want to go uh, following the road. Is that what you're saying? Yes, you want the you want the comb to actually run the same direction as the road. So you don't want to turn the top bar long ways and put the head of it up by the cab and the tail of it right. by the tailgate behind you or whatever. Yeah, that's not going to work because what's going to happen is centrifugal force. Um, she is swinging her comb there. Say something so the video will switch over to you. Oh, the, the comb is swinging because you're stopping and going and it's swinging that comb. And if it's heavy with honey and especially when it's hot, it's going to end up collapsing on you. Yes, it'll break off of there. So centrifugal force for everybody listening on the audio version. If you've got the comb running perpendicular to the road, that centrifugal force, if you have to slam on your brakes or if you have to hit the gas, it's actually going to cause all of the comb to move and bend. And that will cause a giant pile of gunk and mess in the bottom of your hive by the time you get to your location. So what you want to do is in the back of the truck or in the trailer, you want the hive from end to end to go side to side across your truck. And that's going to make your comb running parallel with the road. So the bar itself is parallel, the comb is parallel, and that keeps any centrifugal force from actually being able to bend the comb because it's actually attached all the way along that wooden frame that wouldn't bar going in that same direction. That's right. going to be the way to transport it. So where you may be able to think you can get more in there if you're doing them side by side, that's not how it's going to work. It's going to be one hive going from the side, the left side of the truck to the right side of the truck. And it's going to be pushed up as far as you can go. The next one gets loaded in behind it and pushed up to it. If you're loading them on a trailer, that's the same way they're going to. They're going to run long ways across the trailer and the comb is going to be parallel with the road. So it's going to be going in the same direction as your road is. That's now, just you, a. 
if you're Mental changing note. a tire and you had to pull out all your uh, boxes <laughs> out, whatever happens is kind of do as I say, not do, don't do as I do, right? Because right. here's my trick for transporting top bar hives. Um, unless I have somebody helping me out, I will use the smaller transport nukes and transfer all that in there. If I have to put it in two or three boxes, if that's a large colony, I'll do that, making sure I mark them so that I know which one is going back with in one. The order, and right. then I will load up the nukes and then I'll load up the hive um, because it's a bit easier that way. Yeah, that and that's that can actually work <laughs> if you're not having to, or if you've got multiple hives at multiple locations and you're gonna move them from one box to another box, that's actually a very good scenario too, because then you can put them back in the same order. If your boxes, if you're building all your boxes, they're gonna all be fairly close to the same parameters. So you should be able to plug and play any yeah. comb from any colony into the other one. So that that definitely works out. Yeah. Now on a Langstroth setup, again, ratchet it down and seal up the entrance, but there's a couple of things to consider here when it comes to distance. Your top bar, you're not gonna be able to do this on. So doing a move in the heat of the day is ill-advised. I would not do it. If you're gonna be doing a very, very long move, that top bar is gonna be baking and roasting in the sun that extra heat can cause the comb again to loosen and weaken, and you could end up with comb collapse before you get there. So if you're well, moving at your the very colonies- least put, a, put a roof on it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It. You should have a roof on it to protect it from the weather and everything else. And also make sure your roof is ratcheted down so it doesn't blow yeah. off while you're driving. <laughs> um, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> yeah, they, the people behind you don't appreciate that. So that's, uh, that's one of the other things to keep in mind. Now your Langstroth colonies, you do have the ability to do a screened top cover or a screened bottom cover that are specifically designed for transporting colonies. This comes in handy when it is warm or hot, but at the same time, you can also, if it's really, really hot and you're moving in the heat of the day, that air and that dry air and the heat can actually create a convection and right. you can dry out the colony, kill all the brood, kill all the eggs and larvae, things like that, that's actually bad. So though they do have those conveniences, it's actually better to try and relocate your colonies in the cool part of the day or overnight when it's not as hot. And this is for long distance. This isn't for loading it up and taking it two miles down the road. This is, I've got a, a two hour drive that I've got to take your bees or I've got further that you've got to go. You want to try to plan that transport accordingly so that it is not happening in the heat of the day in the middle of the summer when your temperatures are way up there really hot. So the way I do this is I show up at that yard later in the day towards the evening because I want to be able to wait until the the night is dark and I can shut them in and load them up and then transport them. And then at that point, I can have them at my house overnight with the airflow uh, and then take them in the morning to go and set up at the next yard. Yep. So I can, I can, I don't, I don't have to go directly to the new yard. I can just use them in, as a station. The other thing it does is that it allows you to catch all the foragers uh, That's right. that you're, you know, because it's not just if, even if you have colonies left, like a lot of my apiaries, my out yards, I have other colonies left. And I know that if I need to move in the day, that's fine because they're going to find a home in the other colonies. However, what is happening is that that colony that I'm transporting is now short of all those foragers, yep, which most it. of them are leaving during the day. So you've just weakened it by that much. Now, if you have a lot of cap brood and a lot of things, you might think it's okay. And, it, you know, to a certain extent it is, but you're still stressing them out because each of those bees, you know, um, age-related workload or tasks that they're doing 
they're not going to have the plant, they're not going to have those uh, foragers until the next crop of nurse bees graduates to guard bees and, and so on and so forth. That's going to force them to accelerate their evolution and just to kind of reassign and they're going to be short, which is also partly why you want to be mindful of not really taking too much of the capped brood to help out another colony because they're counting on those bees. Right. And that really reassigns the roles and stresses the colony. So just be mindful of that. And as much as possible, only if you have to um, do that, like you, you don't have another choice, but other than that. So moving the bees um, again, the kind of use this entire conversation and take everything from the beginning and then build on it as you go. So when we talked about in the beginning, going through and waiting till nightfall to lock up the colony, that's the same thing you would do when you're moving it anywhere else as well. You want to wait till nightfall. And that's kind of what you were getting at, making sure all the foragers are back. You want to keep as many of them as possible, especially depending on certain times of the year. So mm -hmm. in the spring, when they're raising tons of bees, it may be easier to get away with, well, I'm just going to move them. They've got literally every comb in there has capped brood. You know, they will recover. And yeah, they will. They've got a lot of food and they got a lot of time to recover. But in the fall, that's not the case. Those bees that they're raising and the bees that are currently there, that is your survival guarantee for winter. They need all those bees, all the winter bees, all the foragers. They're working on bringing in the food stores to get ready for winter. They're working on raising the bees that have more fat bodies inside them to be able to survive the winter and generate that heat. And if you take that away because you just up and move the colony and you let all the foragers go somewhere else, those other colonies are going to do great. They've just benefited from having this bounty of incoming bees, but the colony you took away now doesn't have foragers. They're going to be set back. They're not going to bring in the amount of food that they were planning to bring in. And so it can be very detrimental. So yes, always wait till the night and lock them up. Now, sometimes like even what I did this week, I knew I was moving bees on Sunday. So Saturday night at like 930 at night, I went out to the apiary where those hives were located and I made sure I did have one. I had to smoke them all back inside. And then I turned around and got it all sealed up so that they were good to go. And then I left and I went home and I went to bed and I woke up stupid early the next morning yeah, to go thing. load them up. But I knew all the foragers were in those hives and nobody had escaped. Right. So I could load them straight up and immediately take off and go. And that's how I started off. You know, my right. morning was to go and get all those bees delivered. And when I open them up, now I know that the, the new location has the full complement of bees. The colony didn't get slighted and shorted in any way. And they're, they're good. Um, now, one By thing. By the way, this is what I've got in October. Nice. Like this from yesterday. <laughs> Solid brood. That's beautiful. <laughs> I did find some colonies that look like that. I also found some that to an untrained eye, they would look like they had very spotty or shotgun brood. But when you actually like shine a light or look down in there, it's she nectar. couldn't lay there if she wanted to. It's yeah. nectar. They are backfilling like crazy. Yes. Um, the goldenrod at the main apiary is pretty much done. There's some some little sprouts that are just blooming that are still vibrant yellow, but the rest is starting to get that dull yeah. rusted color. Yeah. Yep. And the false willow though, I've got it looks like it's probably three quarters of the way done. It's starting exactly. to turn poofy and white, but I've got some that are still coming into bloom. So they're still bringing in a lot of nectar and they're backfilling that in and that's that's good. But no, that's a beautiful brood pattern there on that uh -huh, one. That was for solid. the end of October. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be great. Um, okay, so, so far we've talked about the very short distance moves. We've talked about loading them up and moving them maybe uh, you know across town or out to another apiary. Maybe you're moving them to another county. 
Um, that sounds strange, but really, if you do stuff like Natalie and I do, and you've got apiaries in different places, you know, you can be in three or four counties in one day, just because mm -hmm. you're depending on also like you may be in an area where the counties overlap really easily and you can drive 10 miles and be in another county. So, um, but due to that, you also want to make sure that you are complying with any state or local county or city codes. Mm -hmm. So if you own the bees and you own the yards that they're all going to, more than likely, it's not going to be that big of an issue. But in the rare instance that you do get pulled over and you've got a trailer full of bees and they say, do you have the permit to transport those bees across the county line or whatever? You want to make sure that you're in compliance. And for everybody listening, I know we're all across the globe here. So that could, you know, you need to check with your state apiary inspector or your local apiary inspector and see what those rules and regulations are. And they're usually the ones that will issue those types of permits to you. And you can then go through and move those bees. Now, if you're moving them out of state, there's a whole lot of other requirements that come into play. And that could be um, there are import and export restrictions on certain items. It may be that you can bring the bees, but not the equipment, because the equipment could potentially transmit diseases like American fowl brood that stay on the equipment. Um, there could be instances where you may be able to bring the bees, but only from certain areas. There are known restrictions for areas that have known Africanized genetics. Mm -hmm. They don't want you bringing those bees over across their lines because they don't want those genetics there. And sometimes that is obviously an educational issue like the the lack of education and knowledge and understanding about the genetics and how to work with them could well that actually and, lead, lead some know, bounds to that the bees don't read those regulations and they no. don't no, they will cross those lines themselves the bees will fly across the county line and the state line <laughs> no matter what but you know they they try to do their best to try to mitigate right. these things and they the laws actually have like they're established for the best of intentions but you want to check those things and a lot of times if you are crossing a state line the first thing that you're going to need to do is, again, you have to have your bees actually inspected to go across mm -hmm. a state line. Mm -hmm. You have the bees inspected by your local apiary inspector. They give you a certif certification health that they are free of disease mm -hmm. and they, they're in good health. Then you take that certification with you. And a lot of times the other states, as long as that certification was within so many days, they will accept that as your badge of I've done this, but you still may need to reach out to the other states and retrieve a permit okay. to go across those lines. Now, beekeepers that deal with this the most is that's going to be your migratory or commercial beekeepers that are actually traveling to different crops. They do this all the time and it's, it's just kind of another day for them. But for a small individual who's deciding that they're going to try their hand at that, or maybe for somebody who is relocating to a new state and you're taking your bees with you, these are some of the requirements that you're going to want to think of. Now, one other thing that goes way above and beyond things that you and I would do is if you are going on a very long multi-state journey, sometimes those bees may, you know, like they, you'll see the semi-trucks where they have the netting all the, over the, the truck. Netting, yeah. So it's kind of keeping the bees in and it's allowing the bees to do what they need to do but they're, they're not being able to get out of that netting. So they're not like swarming towns every time the mm -hmm. truck stops and things like that. But I have seen some smaller beekeepers that if they're doing multi-day trips, basically, they will drive a day, they will stop somewhere. And then in some instances, if they just have a few hives, say you're, you're only dealing with five or 10 hives, they will actually open those hives up in the evening, let the bees out, let them go and relieve themselves. And then they naturally come back to the hive because yeah, sunsetting... Mm -hmm. And they close them back up and then they travel on through the rest of that night or through the next day, you know, 
Um, so there are different things to keep in mind with that, different considerations. Uh, planning is key. Make sure that you've absolutely. got Always everything you need. Keeping. Yes. Plan See, there's ahead. a thing that we have, it goes without saying, but I will mention it anyway, because just in case, make sure we talked about strapping the hives and making sure the parts stay together. Make sure once you've loaded, you actually strap those hives as well, especially yep. if you don't have enough to fill your truck or whatever you're doing, because then they will travel. Yeah, they will travel slide, and that will really... they can tip over if you turn too sharply and you only have one or two back there. So yeah, you absolutely, you it strap the hard. boxes down but mm -hmm. then you strap the entire hive or the row of hives down Absolutely. as well. So they can't shift. I have heard stories of, you know, three or four uh, deep boxes, you know, in a pick bed of a pickup truck falling over, falling over. And now you have bees everywhere on the parking lot somewhere that you're trying to um, recover while they're all mad, obviously. Yes. Very and pissed off. <laughs> But. Yes, indeed. So like on a top bar, what I do is if you imagine the bed of your truck, you usually have four tie down places, two up by the cab and mm -hmm. two down by the tailgate. And I will start say in the right corner up by the cab, I will run that strap out and I go underneath the top bar and then I loop up over the top bar and go back underneath it. So I've actually circled mm -hmm. the top bar from a compression standpoint, which is going to push the lid down on the top bar and push the top bar down into the bed of the truck. Mm -hmm. And then I will come across and anchor it onto the other side. Or if there's multiples, I will then come around and do the next top bar and go the opposite direction coming under up over and then back over. And when I get to one of the front anchors in the front of the truck, depending on how many hives are in there, you then hook it to that anchor by the tailgate and you start ratcheting. And as you do, it tightens and pulls everything down. Now your hives are not going to slide and shift and yeah. your lids aren't going to fly off because mm -hmm. you've wrapped around all of it. Right. That's, that's been my preferred method to, to do a top bar specifically Langstroth's. Um, if you have them back against the bed of the truck or against the tailgate of the truck, you can run the ratchet in front of or behind them and ratchet it. So it creates a right. wall where they can't slide back and because forth. Because remember they're tied. Yeah. Um, they're tied together. The boxes are tied. Yeah. Yeah. So you've already got that part done, but that also means if you're doing Langstroth's and you've got 10 hives that you're going to put in your truck, you're going to need 10 ratchets, just one ratchet per hive. Plus you're going to need the ratchets to actually secure them in place in the truck itself. So again, planning ahead, make sure you have all the stuff that you're going to need because it, it is uh, a little bit intensive on, Oh, uh, crap. I forgot this. Or yes. it's kind of like getting out to the bee yard and forgetting your smoker, which I did on Saturday. Oh, that happens a uh. lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you had the same weekend I did have. <laughs> but the other thing you need to remember is that um, you need to make sure that your vehicle is rated for the weight, the weight. of what you're transporting. Yes. Because um, the especially if you have honey in those hives, they can reach really high uh, weights. And that also means that you need to plan ahead for help if you have to. And yep. if you cannot get help, this is my recommendation, especially when it comes to a length trough. It kind of goes back to what I was saying about the top bars is I will break it down in several boxes. And you don't have to necessarily have a, a bottom board for that, but you need to have that aeration. But you could have each of those boxes. Just make sure you note which one goes with which. In what in order. Which yeah. order. And then you can break it down so that you can by yourself lift up the, each of those boxes and load them up. Because there's no way I'm loading up a double deep with a super of honey. Right. Basically. There's There are instances, and we actually <laughs> experienced this um, 
So I can pick up a top bar and I can, or sorry, I can pick up a Langstroth and I can brace it against my body and I can kind of waddle or walk it wherever it needs to go. But there's a whole different story about getting it like above your hip because you've got to get it all the way up to get it into the bed of the truck and get it over the trailer. You know, that's like, that's not an easy task. Yeah. That's not an easy task, especially if they're full of honey. Yeah. Well, and on a top bar. So again, we talked about trying to keep those level, right? So Jorge and I were moving two top bars this weekend and we, we were able to carry it to the truck. No problem. But then the design and shape of the top bar, the way we had it, we couldn't lift it to get it into the bed. So we had to actually set it down, reposition and squat all the way down to where your butt was almost on the ground, grab it by its legs and quickly lift it up, but also keeping it level. (laughs) So then you can set it down in the truck and slide it into place without toppling everything. Um, luckily um, my day went way smoother than yours. I <laughs> had no flat tires. The bees did not escape. Hives did imagine, not topple over and comb imagine. did not break. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if that had been the case with all those hives and, and maybe no help at that point. Right? right. Right. So I always like your vehicles come with an actual jack in the vehicle, but yes. for me and my pickup, I actually have a separate floor jack that is small enough that it fits into a case and it can do over two tons. Mm -hmm. And it is always in my truck because sometimes you may end up with a situation where maybe there's not area from where you've pulled off to where you can actually get your jack level and stable and get it up to Mm -hmm. the the axle to pick up the truck. Or it's soft ground. Yeah, or the ground is soft. So this bigger surface area of like the floor jack can actually help with some of those instances. Or maybe, heaven forbid, you ran over something and it got both tires. And you've only got one jack in the truck. You can't do both. So having an extra piece of equipment like that actually can come in very handy as well. Yeah, but at that point, I wouldn't have two spare tires. No. Well, you can't really carry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's true. You could at least get it jacked up, get the tires off, and then maybe find a ride to take those tires to get them repaired and come back. And then the, the vehicle's setting on something. Um, but but yeah. to, the, to the point about aeration, you know, that's also important for that, not just for the transport from A to B, but also if anything happens, those bees, all of a sudden, if they have to wait until you get some help, you need to make sure they don't cook in the meantime. Yep. They're setting so out really there in the sun ahead. in the bed of a metal box, which mm-hmm. is going to get hot. Yep. So yeah, you got to plan ahead. Same thing with the boxes, like I was mentioning, separating them. You want to plan ahead. You need to have the equipment for that when you show up, especially if it's a far away apiary. You need to have all the boxes you're going to need and just kind of break them down and and just kind of tie them with the aeration and all stuff and then put them up. But you need to wait for the foragers to come back again and all those bees that you've rattled to come back into the boxes. So there's something else to keep in mind. You really need to plan ahead for moving. Checklists. Make a checklist, mm-hmm. set a time, go through and get your checklist. Make sure you've got all the items and equipment that you need, and then plan out a timeline schedule right. and follow it. And it means that that's not going to be, a, oh, I think I might get up on Saturday and go do this. No, you need to plan ahead. Friday night, there's going to be some prep work that needs to be done. Saturday, you're going to need to do some other stuff. Um, and again, you can't see her since how I'm talking at the no, moment, but, but she's I'm making like- faces. Because not always does everything go to plan. And sometimes <laughs> I've got to grab a hive and move it. And it's just what it is. But this I, is best world scenarios. <laughs> yes. And I tend to, the reason I was making those faces because I tend to fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And just kind of like, oh, okay, this is what I need in my head. And instead of making a list, it's probably a better idea, really. Yeah, the list but, will you know, definitely help. I find that even when I make lists, especially when it comes to Langstroth equipment, I never have what I everything I need. And yeah, it there's, doesn't there's take a lot much. Of parts. Yeah. 
That's true. There's a yeah, lot yeah. of parts. So Les Crowder will not even close the boxes when he travels with them. So he will load them up and, you know, as soon as, you know, whichever the foragers, that's irrelevant. But as soon as he's got that box and those bees, he will leave that entrance opens, open. And he says the bees will do what we were talking about earlier. They will get out at the stop and they'll come back in. They'll get out and they'll come back in. And he finds that they don't really get away from the truck so much. So he doesn't really mind. I think that there's something in the way uh, they perceive the move, which is highly unnatural. Again, when in nature does the colony of honeybee get moved, right. that really kind of like makes them think, well, what's going on? I'm going to anchor down and I'm not going to go very far. Yeah. If you're not going very far, that's, that's not a horrible thing. Um, however, I, I have seen many instances of panicked pedestrians and drivers <laughs> around you. And so for that purpose, keeping them closed up, you, you reduce the risks of losing your bees. You also reduce yeah. the risk of everybody liability. else having heart failure <laughs> and liability. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's also a thing. And then also I have uh, magnetic stickers that I bought that I can put on the truck that say oh, caution, caution live, live bees. bees. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I bought, they can, they can, you can buy them in a big sheet. So I bought like an 11 by 14 sheet. And when I did the design, I did it repeated. And then I actually just used a paper cutter and cut them into strips so I can put two strips on the sides and two strips oh, on yeah. the back that all say caution live bees. Very and cool. that also like that helps a lot because then one, if somebody sees a smoker in your truck and they see your smoke, your, your truck smoking and they see live bees, they put the two together and they're like, oh, okay. Cause otherwise they pull up beside or they honk at you and they're like, you're on fire. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So that happens to me all the time because I find it to be a very good advertisement to have my smoker that keeps going. Right. Yeah. So I'll, you know, before I leave, I'll pack it up to make sure that it's still lit. I don't have to light it again on my next location. However, and, and it's really, you know, what happens, people will tell me to roll my window down and I'm like, you got a fire in the back of your truck. I was like, I know it's okay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> on, it's on purpose. Yeah. I've gone to a doctor's appointment once and between apiary stuff and I had my smoker in the back of my truck and I left it there and there, you know, it's hooked. There's nothing yeah. touching it. So it's fine. It, the risk that, you know, it, it's going to turn itself off before anything happens. Well, I came back and somebody had taken the smoker and put it on the parking lot kind of like thinking that was a dangerous thing. Unhooked it from your vehicle and set it on the ground. I'm like, where's my smoker? Oh, there it is. Yeah. But th that brings up a point that I think we need to make sure uh, people know is that you want to make sure that if you do have a lit up smoker in the back of your truck, when you're transporting beehives, especially with the hive content of wax, um, that you're not um, putting it at risk in any way for the equipment to catch on fire and any kind of wax to be in contact or fuel that you have for your smoker. Right. You don't want to be in tight quarters because it's happened to the best of us, including Les Crowder, who noticed that the back of his pickup truck was in huge flames and he ended up having to get up the um the hives were on fire he actually uh, that was not high live hives that was equipment with wax and he ended up kicking off the whole equipment off the bed of the pickup truck to avoid his truck to Burning. catch on fire and that yeah. happens a lot actually that happens more often than we think where the beekeeper will set their truck on fire and it'll be gone yeah so for like what you were talking about and for my truck, there's actually a place where I can hook the smoker. It's not touching anything but metal. Exactly. It's not resting down on the bottom and it is anchored. It can't move and go anywhere. Yeah. 
and the nozzle is up above the edge of the truck bed. Exactly. You, so you can see the nozzle sticking up and see the smoke coming out of it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that luxury to be able to do that or that setup to do that, you need to get yourself one of the, they actually wow. make metal boxes for smokers. You need to get one of those and anchor that into your truck and just your smoker goes in it, not your smoker fuel, not other stuff, mm -hmm. just your smoker. Right. And uh, you can also use old ammunition boxes. If you've got one That's big enough that a smoker can mm -hmm. fit in it, you can use those as well. And or you they, can plug it with grass, plug it with something, with grass or something, or a cork. A cork works grass, really well. What happens with that is that you still have a tiny bit of airflow and you can still have uh, fuel, I mean, uh, smoldering when, by the time you get to your next yard. And if not, if you have the thick uh, pieces of wood, you'll have charcoal, which will make it easier to light the next time. So. Yeah. Yeah, I always use a cork in mine, actually, because there have been a couple of instances where I was driving after dark and I could mm -hmm. see all the embers coming out of it. <gasps> and Texas. I was like, oh, that's not good, especially yeah. if we were in a drought. So I've started using a cork and I put a cork in the end of the smoker. The wind still blows across the bottom of it. So you still actually do get some of that igniting and the, the, the burning of the embers down in there. Um, but I'll put a cork in it. And then that way I know that I'm not accidentally going to set a field or a pasture on fire as I'm driving right. down the road, too. So, so to complete my day yesterday, because you know the flat tires, because it was going so well, S, uh, yeah, uh, was not enough. I realized when I got to my uh, next uh, place, uh, third one, that uh, I didn't have a smoker. I left it in the previous yard, oh, no. which was in the middle of cedars and all that stuff. So it was standing straight up on top of a top bar, which was fine. You know, there was practically no risk, and there was no wind. But I'm like. Oh my gosh, I was freaking out because I'm like, I'm going to find the place on fire. And, and, and in addition, I had to turn back around. And yeah. so keep in mind that when you have a smoker lit, you want to kind of keep an eye on it and really be mindful of what, what's happening with that. The yeah. other instance yeah. was I was picking up a swarm um, further out in town. And I was so happy I put it in the cardboard box. I was just like so excited about it. And I left. I actually had my uh, tailgate still down. And the smoker on top of the tailgate. Oh and, no! And I, I never saw that smoker again. Yep. But it was a rainy day <laughs> because I drove forty-five minutes away. I'm like, I'm not going to retrace my steps and to figure out where it's at. Rainy and, and day. Somebody could have ran over it, and it's flat mm -hmm. by the time you get there. Like, yeah. Had it been a good. hot, dry day, I would have turned around. But it was yeah. a rainy day. Yeah, there's there's lots of things with that. And I know that our, our overall conversation today was about moving hives and stuff, but smoker yeah. safety is very, very, very key. Yeah, and your smoker does get hot, like it gets hot enough that it will glow in the dark. And yeah. you don't want to set it on any surface that is flammable. You want to set it on metal on concrete. Suit. <laughs> or your bee suit. I have set a bee suit on fire up in a tree before on the top of a ladder. That was not fun. <laughs> and, and I did it with the smoker. I had the smoker up against my hip to brace it. And I thought that I had it against the baffle, but I actually had it against the bottom of the smoker. And as I was puffing it, that bottom is hot enough. It actually ignited my suit. So well, I had holes in my suit and I felt it, but I never got the fire on. The yeah, suit. I said I literally set myself on fire. Did you um, jump out the ladder? And I managed to um, not panic so bad that I hurt myself and I managed to get it out. 
while I was still up on the top. And then I crawled back down the ladder and, and got everything like fixed and rectified. But no, it was, it was not a, it was not a pretty thing. I was oh, like, wow. wow, that's a really odd, warm sensation. Kind of felt like I had peed my <laughs> pants for a second. And I was like, that's really strange. Like that doesn't happen. And I looked down and flames are coming up at me. And I was like, oh, sh-, you know, like, yeah, I know. then it was a whole nother, like, what do you do with the smoker? How do you put yourself out? Don't fall off the ladder. Don't flail. Yeah, I like, know. Yeah. With bees that are mad at you in the meantime. With, with bees, because you're in the middle of doing a removal that, you know, they're pissed off to begin with. So, yeah. I um, think we should always film ourselves when we're doing stuff like that, because there's always going to be some really funny yeah. moments. It's always when I'm by myself, there's nobody else around, and I get myself into the stupidest situations. Um, there have been a couple of times, though, that I was very, very grateful that somebody was there, like Jorge was there. Um, I did get myself stuck on a roof once. And oh. it was, uh, it was a, the position that I was in and the size of the ledge, I was able to get up there and I didn't but think not, anything yeah. of it. And then all of a sudden realized there was no way I was getting back down short of falling off the roof because wow. I like, as I started to get down, I started to slide and I managed to grab a hold of the underside of the top level of the overhang that was there and brace myself and had one foot dug into the shingles. And I was holding myself steady and jorge was inside the house in the attic on the other side of the wall from where i was and i yelled and i was like can you hear me and he goes yeah and i was like i need you to come outside right now because i have no way down and i'm about to fall and he was like oh my my god so yeah that that was probably like the scariest moment i think Um, that i've had doing a removal and that includes being on the top of a chimney and then feel the chimney actually start to sway And I was like, oh, this is going to end badly. And luckily I managed to get off of it before anything happened. But yeah, so I've, I've been in some really, really precarious positions. Do you that, have a harness? I'm just sanding the subject. Um, no, <laughs> I need one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I should, I should do that and anchor myself to stuff way more yeah. often, but anyhow, anyhow. Okay. So yeah, that's all neither here nor there, but, uh, we just wanted to give everybody a good idea of some of the scenarios you can come across when you come to move your bees. Yes. I was going to say, um, it's easier to move them when it's cold because yes. they will be there. You can move them in the daytime when it's cold outside, when they're not Sunday flying, morning, um, for instance, cold and, and drizzly. Yes. Everybody it, was inside. Exactly. And then, um, and, and be, careful because 55 is not cold for the bees they might no, still if they have still a solid colony yeah. they will still go out there and fly and forage and things a little bit but um the other thing is that you it's easier to move them in the spring after they've gone through their stores because they're going to be a lot lighter, lighter. So plan for that also if you can that's yep. all i wanted to add <laughs> very true very true so there you go there is some Key pointers on things to do and not to do whenever you may have to relocate your hive, regardless if it is just across your own yard or if it is to another bee yard or even another county or another state. Mm -hmm. Things that you should think about and keep in mind, and hopefully that will help you all out on your beekeeping adventures. And uh, until next week when we chat again, everybody be good. Be mindful. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye, guys. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you, and we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees. <laughs>